Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning, gentlemen. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago, Illinois. Hello, Johnny. Get off my lawn. <laughs> As ever, we have no idea where that one came from. Um, <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't quieted down yet from, from <laughs> pre-podcast conversations. Yeah. Have you have you had your coffee yet, uh, Johnny? <laughs> I'm going through it right now. I'm only halfway through. Okay, okay. Well, um, hopefully you'll be you'll be you'll be back to your placid self soon. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, right, we we have loads to get through this week. Um, and I think we're going to dive straight in to um, Cole's explanation as to why he's taking <laughs> photographs of plant pots on the street. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so Cole, well, perhaps you could explain that for us. What the f? You won't even have to believe it. What the f? Ambush. <laughs> yeah, it's an ambush. <laughs> All right. I went out to take photos of sheep. There were no sheep anywhere to be seen. I turned around, there was a pot there, and I took a photo of it. No, so um, <laughs> I, I got several new lenses this week, and one of them was a, an old Canon 35mm FL 3.5, or 2.5. And um, it's a nice lens. I, I, so it's the second, it's the third FL lens I've had. I, I had a 135 before. If you can get over the weight of the lens, because they're very heavy, um, the optics are fantastic, and um, and this one's no exception. And um, it isn't one that I recall seeing photos on our page before. And so, being um, the good um, administrator that I am, I felt that I, <laughs> that I was beholden to <laughs> to <laughs> to go out and take some photos so that. Um, our members might see w what the lens can do. And so I did a minimal, minimalist, minimalist photo. I did a picture of kind of a wetland um, uh, with a bright sky behind it. And then um, I just took some pictures around with the lens wide open of, of, of close things so people might get an idea of what the bokeh looks like and um, can the lens produce 3D pop, and it can. And I think it's a really good buy. It's not an expensive lens. It's a Canon FL 35 2.5. And um, with an FL FD mount, um, got a nice adapter from Ben Kudo, who's the KNF uh, adapter salesperson in the U.S., and got it real quick, and um, just took it out and shot it and played around with it. So yeah, I posted some pictures of things that are just things: a wine bottle and a, pot, a clay pot that Simon gave me a hard time about. And um, yeah, so that's that. It's uh, it's it is interesting though, isn't it? When um, if we if we do buy a new lens, there's this, and, and we we're anxious to go out there and and, and try it. Um, we can pretty much find find anything to take a photograph of just 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 for the sake of doing a certain kind of shot. It's lot, and they do actually tend to be bokeh shots, don't they? So you get getting quite close to the subject and blowing the blowing the the, the background out. But the the you, know, you do see some quite random images when uh, when some of us have uh, just picked up a new lens. You do, and and um, and then I went and I did a, and I did a landscape, so I just I wanted to learn about the lens for my own purposes, and um, and I wanted to show some pictures in case someone else thinks so that's a good lens. I'd I'd like to buy one of those too, and um, 
I think it's a good all-around lens. I'm, re- I'm really happy with it. It's a keeper. And that was one of the things to determine. And, and if I did produce crappy images, then I probably have it listed on eBay right now. <laughs> you know, it's just a thing that I do. And now, now that I have it and it's a keeper, I won't be posting any more pictures of pots with the lens. And um, and I'll try, I'll try to find I'll try to find some photos that are that are um, I don't know in t- intended to uh, to be about a particular thing when I set out from from home. Okay. So, so 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 having had this lens for for three two or three days and you've decided that it's a keeper. Um, <laughs> Um, what what other lenses do you have of, of a similar nature that this this is effectively going to oust, if at all? No, it doesn't. You know, I um, I don't have any thirty five millimeter lenses that don't have stuck apertures to work on to use on the Sony. I have I have a thirty five millimeter lens that I use on the Fuji. I have two actually, and um, so I, so I'm good there. But it, I don't have one that's a full frame. Um, SLR um, lens, and so um, it just it fills a niche. The closest thing that I have to it is a, a 24 millimeter Nikkor. Uh, Carl. Yeah. Don't you have a 35 2.8 LTM lens? I mean, I don't like using it on the Sony. Oh right. I, I don't. I don't. I yeah, don't SLR think lens that. would be better on the sony yeah yeah it does. it's okay it doesn't vignette or do anything strange but it, I, the images on the fujis are more appealing to me yeah it makes sense yeah so uh, there was a there was a photograph that you posted on photography with classic lenses uh, a few few days ago uh, actually, I'm not sure if you posted it on, in the group or whether it was just in the in the chat room, um, but it was a, a tabletop with a load of boxes and uh, accompanied by a message that something on the lines of, uh, oh dear, my wife <laughs> found these on the, uh, on, on the floor and put them onto my desk. I wouldn't have said that. That would be sexist. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we went out and... Um, I went out and when I came home, there was a bunch of boxes on my desk. It's not a good thing, and um, but they weren't all lenses. There, let's see, there there was the the Canon thirty five two point five, which I just talked about. There was a Seven Artisans thirty five millimeter f one point two, which I've used twice now, and granted, neither time in the best light conditions. So once in the middle of the day, and once early in the morning, and it was a bit hazy this morning still, and so. Um, I'll give it another go. I'm, I'm not real thrilled with it, and I'm not sure that it, I'm, I'm going to keep it. We can go back to that in a minute. And then what else What else was there? Oh, a micro Nikkor 55 2.8, and an adapter, and the adapter from Ben. So they weren't all lenses. One of them was a part, not a lens. <clears throat> so, so, so that's um, 35 1.2. That's an APS-C lens, isn't it? Modern uh, APS-C lens. So your, it is. Your first impressions aren't, aren't overwhelmingly positive by the sounds of it. No, not overwhelmingly positive. That's right. Yeah. Um, but let's wait and see. I'm, I'm not going to cast aspersion on that one quite yet until, um, until I've shot it in, in some good light conditions. It, it might have a niche. You know, I... I honestly wasn't blown away by the um, Seven Artisans 51.1 when I got it, and um, I still think that it's it's not so great for a lot of things. 
Uh, I don't like it at all on the Sony for anything. I do like it on the Fuji, but I only like it for certain things. And, um, and, and in fact, it almost has a niche of shooting inside of relatively dark places, um, close to wide open or wide open at high ISO to get, uh, not grainy, but kind of rough looking shots that I usually do in black and white Fuji JPEGs. Um, those ones I did in the pizza shop I shot with this lens. And, and I think I think it's a good lens for that. And um, I haven't used it for a lot of other things than that, but I, I really like it for that. And so I'm interested in those kind of shots. And I mentioned this pool hall thing last week. And uh, the pool hall that I go to is closed now. And so I need to find out more about like, where are they having the tournaments and so forth. And uh, I don't think going into a pool hall where I don't know anyone and taking photos is going to work real well. And um, But that's the lens that I would use. I, this is a kind of funny thing. I would use that or I would use a Canon um, LTM 51.4. And Johnny will laugh <laughs> comparing those two lenses because I know you really like one of those and you hate the other one. Which which but, one? Sorry. Uh, the Canon LTM 51.4 would be the other choice that I would pick to go into a pool hall with sure. my Fuji and shoot and shoot black and white images. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. But but anyway, um Yeah, so I don't know what were we talking about? Oh, the 35 1.2. I'll reserve my judgment because last time I did a terrible thing and I, I said bad things about a Zenitar 51.8 lens, that it uh, wasn't sharp, and um, that was full of shit because um, I went out and took some more photos with it that day, and it's one of the sharpest lenses I've ever had all the way through the range from 1.8 up to the up, you know up to f8 or 11 or whatever you want to shoot. And has nice bokeh, and then it's has good contrast, and it's a really good lens. That's, so, I mean, that's that's interesting in itself, isn't it? How how a, a good lens can uh, completely fail if the if the lighting conditions and the subject matter just just isn't right for it, and it's very easy to write something off but when the conditions just simply aren't right to 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 for that lens. I know it gets back to the thing of you know. You can take a good, a really great photo with probably almost any of the lenses that we have if you're smart about lighting and framing and the subject material and how you set it up and all those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to say most most, most of us actually would rather hear that. Uh, yes, you need having the right lens um, makes the shots. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's ultimately it is about the photographer. It's it's not about the gear. As long as the equipment is is, is functional and the lighting is is good and the uh, the scene is good, then you're going to get good photos. Simple as that. Well, it's like you took that picture of that um, hill. This is really cool. You have little hills that aren't real big, and they look like mountains with rocks on the side. I thought that was really neat, and um, that was a really good black and white. And someone commented that they had a, a Sony camera, so now they could take pictures like that. And I thought, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot that went into thinking about how to take that picture and the lighting and and the way you framed it and many other variables, experience. Yeah, I, I think uh, I mean we we. we talking about um paul's paul's comment there um and uh yeah he's 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 going through the uh the the phase of um he's well it's just sony euphoria 
uh, at the moment. So uh, um, I think it's I think it's fair fair to say when you when you move over to a full frame mirrorless camera from something small like I think I, I think it was uh, on Canon DSLR before I think. Um, so his, his world has been opened up. Uh, to the the possibilities of what he can actually use um so i think there's a, a huge amount of excitement there about the opportunities that are about to come to him which perhaps before um he may not have had certainly he couldn't have used the lens that i used with the camera that he had if i remember right um to take that particular shot so in some respects that that absolutely is true but the the flip side is there are other full frame mirrorless cameras out there and uh in fact two more on the scene now in the in the last uh, few months with uh, Canon and Nikon so um, yeah you don't have to have a, a Sony camera to take good photos as Johnny I'm, I'm sure you're right. delighted to hear that you know um, speaking of photos that are kind of landscapey photos I, I took I took a landscape photo yesterday just to get one with that lens but there's this place that I've been driving by almost every day on the way home from work it's a wetland and it had American lotus it's this really cool plant with big round floating leaves and then it gets beautiful yellow flowers it's i don't know if it's related to water lilies or not probably probably not um they're kind of dying off now but it's this really cool wet and in the afternoon the sun is shining right at where you're standing to take the photo which makes it tricky but the water surface has algae and stuff on it and it has this beautiful glow to it to your eye but um trying to get a photo of it and then and then bring it into Lightroom and develop the whole thing properly is just it's like it's defied me so far and i'm going to go back there again and i think what i'm going to do and this is getting way off topic of what we we're talking about but is um do a bunch of vertically stacked images focusing and exposing each one of them and then um and then stitching them together in and and photoshop or lightroom or something like that as a it could be a really cool image if I could get it right. The photo yesterday was sort of okay, but it wasn't what I wanted. It, that's not what it looked like. So I'm a little bit confused now. So are you are you saying that the you you, you couldn't get the aspect uh, ratio co correct for the shot, or, or could you just no, the water surface there? is so bright with all of the light reflecting off of this algae and and these floating leaves and things. That it's just it just gets blown out in the image, and and to get that looking right, that the other parts of it's it's I'm having a real hard time developing the image so that it looks it looks what I see when I'm standing there it looks really cool, and I cannot get it captured. Oh, is that is that the the North Florida in November shot? Yeah, that picture. Yeah, the photo looks okay, but it's not special. It did, it looks really cool, and that picture doesn't look really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I'm just just look, looking at it now. I mean, the the highlights are extremely bright in there. Um, I played around with that in all different ways that I could think of, and um, had a heck of a time with it. Um, so, so was was the problem largely because of the the, the brightness that as as you were shooting almost directly towards the sun? Is 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 that yeah? Where yeah, the you? sun's right behind those little one of those little clouds, and um, uh, yes, and. Yeah. Um, if the sun, if there had been no clouds, I, I wouldn't have been able to take the shot. It would just been all f flared out. Well, the, the the obvious thing that I would point you towards is: have you have you ever taken any shots in, in HDR mode on your camera? Uh, yeah, where you bracket, it, where you bracket it. I've done them and I've not liked them, but I could. Yeah, I, and that, I've, well, yeah. that's a that's a, a perfect example of of 
where that would work for you because you don't necessarily have to get that HDR look which you know we've we've rubbished in the past but some people like um but you don't you don't have to have that look with a with a shot like this you know it's a case of you can expose the sky properly and you can expose the foreground properly um w without having those you know gazillion uh, uh tones in in, be in between the two of them so um certainly in in that scenario i would, I would I'd definitely be uh, using some kind of hdr for that uh, bracketing at least and uh, probably having a two stops either side of uh, the correct exposure i think you'd uh, you'd get something there definitely that's why i was thinking of doing a bunch of stacked images from shooting right down and low to up to the sky and then just stitching them together and then each one carefully refocusing so you mean so, so so each shot you would actually the you would be using the the meter on the camera to expose uh -huh. expose uh -huh. that part of the photograph uh -huh. and then you stitch that yeah. together i've done it before it works great when you bring them in a light room you have to flip them on their side before you stitch them together and then you just turn it back around works good okay mm -hmm. it's the same thing as hdr it's just doing it with a lot more images and you get a giant image at the end yeah That'll be interesting to see if you if you do go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what what else has been happening uh, Planet Havens this week? I think that's about it. That's all enough, isn't it? <coughs> that's it. I don't. Know. I'm not going to say anything else for you guys to give me a hard time about. This is, this is like listening to Mueller and like question Trump. It's like, do anything else you want to say? We're just waiting for him to step in it. You know what I mean? I haven't done anything else. We don't have got no leaves or rake here in Florida not for at least another month. So I don't have that. So my fire management regime is going fine. Everything's clean. You have the best algae, though, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> right then. Uh, well, let's 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 move on to Johnny then. Johnny, what what you've been up to this week? Uh, I've been complaining a lot this week. Uh. <laughs> you're, you're both like yep you've been complaining a lot this week no i <clears throat> so since the time changed uh the the wonderful daylight savings time change whatever it it it's like sunny in the morning maybe because it's you know it's november in chicago so it's basically gray all the time so maybe it's sunny in the morning and then by three o'clock well, for me, by about two thirty, three o'clock, because I'm in the loop working downtown in the cavernous, uh, you know, between the office buildings, it's it starts getting dark. So when I finally get out of the shop for lunch, which is usually about three, three thirty, sometimes four o'clock, um, it's it's basically dark already. So the prime, my prime photography time times are. You know, it, one of them is shot and then after work it's just dark i mean it you know by five five o'clock it's like the middle of the night so um so there's no light and and uh so that drives me crazy because i don't i don't like to shoot i like to shoot when there's like light because you need light to make photos so when it's gray and dingy um i just feel very disgruntled at life because i can't take photos very much so that's kind of what i've been doing i've been um i've been carrying around in my bag this week i have had uh 
my Rolleiflex 2.8a, which I'm putting the first roll of film through, and I'm you know sort of struggling to get through that because there's no light. Um, uh, but I've got I've got that going on. I've had my 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 um, uh, Canon uh, uh, S2 in my bag, and I've shot that a little bit. So what I've really been shooting a lot of actually is my little um, uh, what do you call it? I'm gonna grab it right here. Uh, my mini wide lux, um, <laughs> my, my mini X pan, my, uh, my pocket Panavision. So this is all the Minolta. So I've been shooting my Minolta, you know, crop, uh, panorama camera a ton because it's, <clears throat> it's easy and it has a flash on it and I, I can just do easy flash fill. Um, so I've been taking a lot of photos with that, which I usually do anyway, but I've, I've been really kind of relying on that a lot because the light is just so bad right now. Um, so that's what I've been shooting. Um, I've been still thinking about shooting my auto reflex. I now have a nice set of lenses for it, um, but I just kind of have to wrap my head around shooting half frame again because it's been a while. Um, and I have a, a project I want to do that I want to do in a specific way. So I've been kind of, um, shall we say, procrastinating on, on shooting the auto reflex. That, that's, that's the next camera I really want to spend a lot of time with. Um, uh, let's see. Last night I had an email, quick exchange with Yoshin Yi. He said he did receive my uh, Canon P. Um, which I sent to him for repair along with a Canon uh, 4SB2 um, for a little bit of adjustment. So, I, so, so my, my, my favorite camera is still kind of off being serviced, um, and I've been missing it. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been, I've been kind of just you know, struggling to get through this past week <laughs> without being able to shoot a whole lot, which really drives me crazy. Um, I've been digitizing some negatives. I got some things uh, done yesterday, which is kind of cool. Um, some things out of the uh, uh, that lens that I adapted to my um, Vesa L, which is the uh, Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim, um, the super wide angle lens uh, out of that, you know, plastic crappy camera. I cut it out of, out of the camera and adapted it to LTM. Um, so I've, I've been processing some, some shots out of that, which is kind of fun because I did that back over the summer um, and I'm just getting to them now. And I've also actually been processing a lot of, I just kind of got on a, got on a roll this week with um, films of 1988, <laughs> thinking back to, thinking back to and watching some films that um, came out in the year 1988 and then that caused me to kind of go back to my film archives and look at some photos I shot of um, protests against the film, the last temptation of Christ in 1988, which was a big kind of cultural thing here in the U S. So I have all these uh, negatives there. I've, I've put some shots up on Instagram um, and I still have a couple more yet to, to post of uh, those protests against that film in 1988. So, so literally going back, what is that? 30 years. That's insane. But Going back and processing some, some uh, by processing, I mean scanning and, you know, digitizing uh, negatives from 1988 and kind of getting them out there in the I've, world. I've got your, your Instagram feed in front of me and I, and I spotted uh, these and I, was thinking, and I oh, clearly I didn't read any of the text 
on, yeah. on, on, on these. Um, and I was just there thinking, what on earth is going on in Chicago <laughs> at the moment? <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, or, or Johnny's using some really old film at the moment. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so so basically the shots that I posted, so that the negatives that I have from this event, which literally I shot you know, in 1988, um, the, the negatives are in really poor condition. Uh, and my guess is that, so that was the, I was just going to really date myself here. That was the summer, uh, after I graduated, uh, high school. So, uh, high, between high school and college sort of, and I didn't really have access to a dark room for a period of time. So I, I had shot this film and I want to say that either Osco drug or Scrudlands, which used to be a photo finishing chain here in the Chicago area, developed the film, and they quite obviously did not fix and wash this black and white film very well because it is literally the film is literally rotting away. Um, and and I, I'm going to leave it that way because I actually I I kind of like how it looks because yeah. it it it's almost like apocalyptic looking. It's like the film has leprosy or something. So I've sort of left it because. It in a weird way, it kind of seems to reflect. I don't know. It seems to have something to do with that particular event that I photographed. So anyway, I've been I've been scanning these negatives, trying to kind of um, retain some of the look of what the coloration of the film is, and just the way that they're faded and everything. So they're you know they're I think they're odd looking photos, um, and they probably hopefully look vintage because they actually are vintage, and it's actually damaged film that's in the process of deteriorating literally um so yeah it's been just kind of an interesting change of pace to to go back and do that and i've actually scanned i've actually digitized in a bunch of stuff from the years kind of 1988 to 91 92 so i've got a bunch of that stuff gonna kind of go into my instagram feed um it, it j just because i don't know it's just it's it, it's interesting to think that was that long ago and i and i these images seem to have uh, a lot of them that I feel I've chosen have um, some sort of interesting relevance to the present moment and that that sort of bridging of time that still photos can do is um, a really interesting thing. Uh, so that's, I've, I, so I've been really kind of more involved this week with like making, turning film into images and sharing them rather than shooting a lot. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's been good. It's been a, it's been a change. Cause I, I usually don't want to do the processing part. I want to just do the shooting part. So the so, image that you posted that has, um, blue, some blue um, stuff on it that I commented on and said, oh, that, yeah, it was, yeah. said that it was art. Um, yeah, that's a great image. Um, it looks like, like you can tell now when I look at it again, there's some, there's some organic stuff happening on it, but it looks like someone took yeah. a paintbrush and brushed blue paint <laughs> over that one part. Yeah. And when, yeah, when yeah. I first saw it, I thought, this is really cool. You, I don't know what you did, but you've combined <laughs> an old photo with a little bit of, of with a little bit of art with some paint. And and um, I don't know. I, I like I like <laughs> unusual images. But I, if I showed that to Pam, she probably wouldn't like it. But uh, I'd frame an image like that. I, th I think it's really cool because it it's, looks like I, it looks like a mixed media. Yeah, it, no, I, I see exactly why you say that. And it's funny you say that because I, I did, um, I, when I was back in art school, I, I did a lot of things with uh, etching. So literally, you know, you, you, you get a, a plate, a sensitized plate, you expose it to 
photographically and then you put it in an acid bath and it you know you you literally etched the surface of the plate so i did a lot of experimenting with that and oddly they looked a lot like this looks i mean a lot like this um yeah. so I, I i know exactly what you mean it does have a sort of mixed media look to it and i just like that that is purely 100 the time time and chemistry <laughs> making that effect i all i did was try to when i digitize it try to like retain some of the look and not like you know color correct it all out i tried to actually save the kind of look and feel of it so that's that's a lot i mean you know obviously it went from negative to or yeah, it went from a negative to a positive, so the colors and everything get reversed. But I've I've tried to retain kind of how the negatives look. If you had done it in time, you could have submitted it to the Cheap Shots Challenge as art. No, I don't think I can because I would be. I don't think a judge can. You didn't. It's free. In fact, you found the old film. The cost was zero. Yeah, but it was <laughs> it was a good camera though, wasn't it? It was well, a cheap shot camera. Yeah, no, you, found Simon, you're about to tell me it wasn't a good camera because it's a Minolta X700 with an MD 51.7 lens. Well, 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 that's well, that's that, well. We 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 are going to go off on t on tangents now because there was, um, uh, Mike Mike Gutterman was uh, saying very uh, well. He, he did a, a letter into the uh, into the 16. <laughs> he went onto the uh, backing paper part and. Uh, um, it was that a guest that um, Dave offered the forums um, was uh, was their <laughs> guest on backing paper, and he read Mike's uh, email out. But he, he, he <laughs> um, except he did the, in this really bad apparent uh, Kentucky accent, <laughs> which uh, yes, which, yes. which uh, Ra Rachel um, sort of let it let it go for about twenty seconds. And decided no, 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 stop. Don't do that. Um, but uh, within that um, that that email, he mentioned about uh, his, his view that uh, one, the the cheap shot challenge that they have over on the on Sunday sixteen should be done um, not only with a, a cheap camera, um, but his view is that it should be done on a, a limited um, ability camera too. Because you know, you, you pick up something like a an SLR and you've and uh, you know it's a great camera and uh, you've got a good lens on there and you're just lucky that you found it. It's a, it's a great price sure, um, sure. that's sort of going against what he feels is, is the spirit of the competition and I, I think I, gr I agree with him on that one as well um, yeah. but it's it's good to actually use a crappy camera uh, that's yeah. that normally you, you know, you'd, people might look at or not give a second look to there to try and do a decent photograph with um, but yeah. you know yeah. many cameras can look unimpressive but still actually take impressive photos yeah, that, but that's kind of what I like about the cheap shots thing is you, they do get a variety of like, you know, somebody could have p found a Leica in a thrift store for $5 and somebody else found a fixed, you know, fixed focal, fixed lens point and shoot plastic camera for $5 and they can both, you know, produce something very interesting to look at. So, I mean, I, I, I sort of like that that aspect of cheap shots challenge is that, you know, and you, 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 you take the camera like if you didn't know the details of the camera and only looked at the images, you might not know exactly what made what. And you know that's that it comes down to the skill of the user using the camera, which I I sort of like that they go in that direction. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, just 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 to uh, for the sake of the listeners, um, if there many people 
uh, listen to this uh, on a computer and stuff and uh, and search about well we're, we're talking about your um, Instagram feed at the moment Johnny which is Sisson uh, Photography so if mm-hmm. anybody wants to uh, check that out uh, just uh, look up Sisson Photography um, one that we've we've already gone past it but uh, and I mentioned it I think probably last week about your photographs you're taking with your uh, X-Pan uh, Minolta what's the proper name of that camera? Uh, I believe it's. It, there's a few different names for it. It's technically the Freedom Vista, and there's a. I think there's at least one other name for it, but they're all the basically the same camera. Um, so the you could call it the the Freedom Vista would be. Uh, yeah. It's also in Japan. Apparently, it's the Minolta P's, like P apostrophe S, which uh-huh. go figure. But yeah. it's the same exact camera. Um, it just goes by a different name. Yeah. So yeah, I've got yeah I. I I just posted a, a a bunch out of that. I'm actually taking a call it. So um, my 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 friend from San Francisco, um, you'll find him on Instagram, Ukrainian Sensation. He's kind of the person, one of a couple of people that really champion this camera, um, and he's done amazing work with it. And he he he, as far as I know, came up with the hashtag poor man's xpan which is really which is really great um so now i'm i'm calling it the pocket panavision (laughs) because it it has the same essentially the same kind of 70 millimeter aspect ratio as panavision uh does so it's you know it's like you're it's like it's like having stanley kubrick in your pocket um well, I'm, I'm just going to say um, I'm really liking the, the the photos that you've been you've been putting up oh, there, um, and I, I like the way how you're you're displaying them on Instagram as well with the really heavy uh, top and uh, top and bottom borders, um, and also I mean there's a, there's a few shots in there where you can really see the distortion of the lens. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, There's a there's a shot where there's uh, a guy walking towards towards you on the right hand side of a pavement or sidewalk as you would call it, uh, yeah. and uh, on. <laughs> On the other side, you've got um, these uh, bollards, these concrete bollards or marble bollards, and uh, and shadows yeah. that are following the line of the bollards, which I think is a, it's a really striking shot, and it, and oh, it emphasizes the, uh, the the distortion there in a, in a really good yeah. way. Um, and there, there there are other interesting facets about this, about the way that you're actually framing shots, and it it, it sort of almost like cuts out the superfluousness. If, if you can call some of these things superfluous, you know, you've got lots yeah. of things that are cut off, like tops of people's heads and uh, and parts of bodies. I mean, there's a there's a shot here which, you know, I'm sure this wasn't the uh, the, the intention to have a photograph of this this woman's mm. bottom uh, on on you know effectively on the on the third uh, with <laughs> yeah with with a, with a load of pigeons there. I'm sure that wasn't what you intended to do, but it, it just it's um it was yeah, an it, accidental bottom. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> Had she not been standing there, I still would have taken the photo because it was about the dude with the pigeons who was always in that same spot. <laughs> He's always there feeding the pigeons and, you know, collecting pigeon dung. Um, so, yeah, that yeah, that wasn't sort of intentional other than the fact that you lose all that real estate top and bottom. And if you look, I, I sort of composed a shot around the guy and didn't fit her head. So, oh, well, you're headless. Um, but... <laughs> But it, it's funny you say that, Simon, because the, one of the things that I that I you know I love the Bessa L with the 15 millimeter lens, which is one of my kind of go to image making things. But the thing I will say about that lens is it's it, it, sometimes it really bothers me. I love the width of it, but I don't love the height of it because <laughs> you do get a lot of extraneous 
stuff in the top and bottom of the frame that I don't kind of always, there's a lot of foreground, you know what I mean? Um, so to me, it's like, I, I would love to build a Bessa L that shot in panorama mode, which I probably could do actually. Um, so that's one of the things I like, I like about shooting in actual panorama and framing in panorama panorama is that you that at least for me i i see differently knowing that it's i'm framing in that crop it's to me it's not the same because i frame in the viewfinder i just don't crop stuff after so for me it, it's really i it's i just can't work that way i need to you know i want to fro- i want to crop it as on the fly. So getting to do that on the fly to me makes me compose differently. And I really like that about the camera that it, 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 for, it forces me to see in a kind of a different um, aspect ratio. Um, and, and I, I feel like I look much more towards cinematography for um, not inspiration, but like the things I absorb photographically come much more from film than from still photographers. So I, I'm seeing films in this aspect ratio all the time. So it feels to me like um, a natural way to compose. Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, I, so, yeah, I guess it is very intentional that there, some things get chopped off because um, it's just a carrot. It's that it's the nature of composing in that, in that format, which is like a, a, a one to 2.5, basically 2.7. Um so yeah, it's like most of the if you if you see a, a, a film in seventy millimeter shot in seventy millimeter, it's essentially the same aspect ratio. So that's an interesting thing. Um, when I shoot black and white images, I like to see black and white through the viewfinder of the camera, mm. and um, which you can't do with the, which you can't do with film. So you're, you're seeing a color image, and and, um, and you're ending up doing something. And then you're ending up with black and white, but you don't really know what it's going to look like. Where with a digital camera, with my Fuji, I can I can set it on mono, and view it that way. And I don't know. I I like I like when I shoot black and white. I like to I like to see. But it, yeah, although I, that's true. I mean, technically, you are if you're viewing through the lens, so you're seeing color. But I mean, I think that's the where the whole thing with pre-visualization of a shot with with film comes into play is that you're you you're actually kind of turning off your color vision and you're seeing shapes more at least i do i mean it's you know you're kind of turning off your paying attention to color and you're looking more at maybe shapes and textures um and and also i mean a lot of a lot of times even with the slr i mean that you know if you're shooting with a rangefinder all bets are off but if you're shooting through a slr a lot of times i'll have a a yellow or a red filter on the camera so the color is automatically already skewed away from reality you know Right. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it is, well, it, this is a, I, again, one of those digital versus film things. And I'm, I'm not meaning to say one is better than the other. Cause I won't do that on the air. Cause you use it against me. I'll just do it in private. Um, but I, with, with film, you, you're sort of forced to think about the final product in a different way than digital i think because you're not it's not like you have image review it's <laughs> you just you shoot it and then it's in your brain and it's it's you know winding into the film take-up spool um but it requires a lot more pre-visualization of what you think the image is going to look like and this is where like a basic understanding of the zone system i think is really helpful because it the whole idea behind the zone system 
which I can put a link to in the, you know, in the notes is that you're pre-visualizing the range of contrast in an image and you can get really good at doing that through a viewfinder. You know what I mean? You, you can, you can get really good at doing that if you start to see in that, um, in that construct. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think you, I think you can do it. Um, the visualizing is not uh, being able to see the actual thing it to me is not always necessarily a good thing because it it's you're I think it you're forced to think creatively if you can't review after the fact immediately. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, yeah sure. so I, I think it, I think it makes makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. And I think when you yeah, I'll, I'll often go out shooting shooting black and white with 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 film, and mm. it makes me think about what's in front of me and about you know, what those colors are going to be look, looking like and really is it, is this a shot that's actually going to be going to be worth shooting in black and white it might right. be a, it might be a nice photograph to to take in color but it just m simply might not work in black and white and i might choose right. not to take it for for for, the, for that reason yeah um, but yeah. yeah and yeah i mean you shooting four by five now you're getting that in like getting that in spades i mean you <laughs> You know, <laughs> you have to think about it because you don't have that, you know, it's to, to make a single image, it takes a lot more thought. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess so. Although, I mean, well, ultimately, it's 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 exactly the same process, isn't it? Because you've, you've got sure. a viewfinder and um, it's just it's just larger. So yeah. and back to front and upside down. So why make it easy when you can? Yeah, make exactly. You yeah. can make it hard. Yeah. Right. So, uh, any any more things for this from this week, or uh, are we are we done there? Yeah, I don't really have anything else. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, I've got quite a few things um, that some some about what I've been up to, but just some general points as well. Um, first one being, I want to I mentioned this last week, and I want to thank uh, Sveen Olaf Humberset for. Uh, asking me to uh, be his guest on his uh, Viewfinder Vikings uh, podcast, um, or, or to be more specific, I am the first guest on the, on, awesome. this, on this podcast, which uh, it, it, that sort of sounds sounds great, but I know that I wasn't his first choice. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd already tried to get Mike Gutterman on there, but he'd been somewhere else, you know, and he doesn't want to spread, him, spread himself out. So uh, I, I, was, I know that I was uh, at least second choice, and he hasn't told me if he actually asked anybody else. But uh, but all the same, um, it's, it was great uh, to, uh, to have a chat with Sveen. Um, and uh, yeah, we we spoke um, for quite some time and covered quite a few things that you know uh, regular listeners would uh, would hear me say. But uh, we also went into a few other areas which um, which we don't really get the chance on the on the Classic Lenses podcast. So that was um, that was yeah an interesting an interesting time to talk about different things. So uh, thanks for that, Sveen. Um, and what else? What else? So yeah, I was out taking photographs this week and we've already mentioned the um, the Parkhouse Hill uh, photo uh, which is this uh, as Carl described it, it it's a, a small hill that looks like a mountain uh, which is exactly what it yeah that's a, that's a really good description it's a it's a perfectly formed hill that, that's that's quite dramatic um, but I was I was out there with um, 
uh, a Facebook friend who I met for the first time in, in real life, uh, Tony Saunders, and uh, uh, and that was that was a, a a good a good experience there. Um, early start, pre dawn to get um, uh, you know to do this landscape landscape shooting in this particular location um, as uh, as the sun comes up, and we we're hoping for things like cloud inversions and uh, dramatic skies and things like that. But it was uh, it was blowing a gale, so there was absolutely no chance of getting uh, a cloud inversion. And just for those people who don't know what a cloud inversion is, that's where you have um, almost like fog in a valley, um, but you you can look down upon it from a, from a high place. So it's a phenomenon that happens at certain times of the year um, in, in certain parts of the world. And uh, where I was is one of those places, but it didn't happen because it was too, it was too windy. Um, but it was, it was interesting though, because there were a few people there, um, especially with it being a Sunday morning and in and, and quite a, a popular location. So there was, I think that by the end, I think there was about six people on this hill um all mad enough to climb climb up uh, this, this hill to get this to get this view on the first thing on the sunday morning and um as as usual i was the only person there that was actually shooting old lenses um, but there were quite a few other photographers there um tony who i've mentioned was, was shooting sony with uh, with modern sony lenses uh, some g lenses some you know really top lenses and there was another guy there that um I bumped into and I thought he was shooting with Sony, but it turned out um, when I got closer to it, it was a uh, the Nikon Z7. So the first one of those I've actually seen in the flesh and uh, that looked really nice. Um, I really liked the look of that camera. So, uh, but more to the point, I saw some of the pictures that were taken with it and he, he took some great photos. I mean, it was, it was fully set up with the with the right filters and things, and clearly he knows he, he knows his uh, landscape photography far better than I do for that matter. Um, as does Tony as well. To be fair, he's got a lot more experience of uh, that kind of photography than me. Um, but one of the things that came out of that for me, having seen the photos that, as I say, the guy with the uh, Z7, uh, his photos and the photos that Tony produced, uh, they both produced some color images. And I was using um, largely uh, my Practical 35mm 2.4, which is the Practical uh, or Pentacon B version of the Flectagon 35 2.4. And uh, I, also, I also had a, a few other shots, and I'll come on to one of those. But one thing that I, I noticed um, was although that lens, it, was, it gave me you know, good sharpness, um, especially when when stopped down, um, what it didn't give me was the, and what the other the other people's photos had was they had much better flare resistance in a, in in a way that there were plenty of times where you you don't really mind having flare because many of us are like using old lenses like to have um, shots where flare comes into them so you can do something artistic with them, but there are plenty of times where you you having that artistic flare, that veiling flare or whatever other kinds of flare that might be there, um, you just don't want. Uh, you just want to take a straight photo directly into the sun or into a strong light and not to have too much contrast lost and uh, not to have too many um, things happening in the shot that would dis distract you from the, the scene that you got. And that was exactly what I was getting with that lens. Um, and that's one of... Yeah, we've, we've talked about that lens many times uh, and it's one of the best 35 millimeter lenses um, you can get as far as uh, you know, classic lenses are concerned but when I compare those images to to the guys who were taken with the 
um, whichever Zoom it was on the Z7, and um, and I think it's a 16 to 24 G Master, or is it 35? I don't know which one it is, but it's a it's a it's a very very good lens and very expensive lens. And my color photos just could not compete. Uh, with um, with with those two lenses on those two systems, I think uh, Tony was took his on a an A seven R three, but I'm not saying that it's a, those the cameras were uh, because the cameras were more modern than my A seven Mark II that therefore they got the better shots. It's it, it wasn't down to that. It was down to the lens, and there are times where. You know, we as evangelists of, of old lenses sometimes have to put a hand up and say, well, actually, these these new lenses in in many circumstances will actually deliver um, a better image. Yeah, try them on your film camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, well, I think I, I had I had my four by five with me, but I didn't actually try to take those those shots because they would just be. You know, All right, were you yeah. using a lens hood, Carl or Simon? Uh, I wasn't, but I was shooting. I had sun directly in the shot, so yeah, lens hole would have right. done absolutely no, nothing. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Your point is your point is well made and well made, and is absolutely true. Is it? That's one of those things. I mean, you know, that's uh, we we look at these older lenses that we have, and we sort of we sort of have a timeline of the development and progress of lens coatings. You know, that's what sets apart modern lenses from the old ones a lot of times is the coatings are much different so yeah you're i mean you can do things with lenses modern lenses that you know straight into the light that you just can't do with some of the classic stuff yeah uh, i mean a lot a lot of modern lenses when you put them into the light you get quite horrible purple yeah uh, flare don't yeah. you some, sometimes yeah. but <clears throat> excuse me but in the the case of the shots that i saw that were taken on the day they they weren't getting that they, they were just getting straight shots i mean i'm sure that they right. were, you know did plenty of work on them in uh, whether it be lightroom or photoshop just to boost them um, but mm -hmm. ultimately the only thing that i could do to actually give me a, a shot that i was happy with um, was to go absolutely nuts and 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 process the hell out of it in uh, silver effects and uh, and make it go black and white and ultimately you know i, I produced a shot that i was very pleased with um, but it would have been nice to have had the option to have used that shot in color but uh Unfortunately, it, it just didn't work out for me. Yeah. But um, so after after taking that shot, I've, there's a, there's another photo I put up, and uh, and Carl was referring to it earlier with uh, with with sheep, and uh, and it's a very it's a it's a very simple shot uh, taken with uh, a great lens. It was taken with a Olympus OM Zuko uh, or Zuiko, whichever one we say, um, hundred millimeter f two. And it's a, a landscape style shot, um, but I took it at f2, uh, which is generally speaking not the way that you take landscape shots. But I wanted to pick out some some detail that was further away from it. And, uh, and one of the beauties of that particular lens is it's razor sharp at f2, um, whereas you know if you if you use many other lenses of, of say of that focal length if you if you're shooting something at f2 then you get a, a fuzziness generally all around the shot and um imon made a made a comment because he has a, um, a habit of uh, he likes to shoot wide open doing landscape shots with with minolta lenses <laughs> and uh, and that's usually where i get I, I say to him well there you go that's why you shouldn't be using minolta lenses because they go really really fuzzy on landscapes and it does my head in um but uh, but no, this, that didn't happen with this, and uh, and I picked out some 
very nicely backlit sheep. Um, and it was <laughs> it was a it was a shot that it was one of those things where the light just went very nice, and I just took the shot, and I didn't really think much more more of it than that. Um, yet when I've put it onto uh, Instagram and, uh, and and I put it onto Twitter, and I think it's in a few places on on Facebook, and it got it got quite a lot of a reaction. Um, far more than I, I would have uh, ex expected uh, you know people like saying oh I, how I miss it be, being in England and, and and stuff like that and what well, the, the bit for me there from that is uh, for for me it was it was quite an innocuous shot you know it's on a throwaway photo really I didn't really think that that much of it yet it, it's interesting how sometimes a shot that is not particularly it doesn't necessarily mean too much to you but it can actually, uh, you can get a, an emotional response um, for, from 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 other people to what's something that you think is mundane, um, and other people can, you know, really respond to it. Yep. Yeah. So on the photo you posted most recently of a boat that looked like half of a frame, what happened? Did you screw up the bottom half and you had to cut it off when you edited it? No, no, that that was that was me taking uh, Johnny Sisson's advice and, and banging in loads and loads of contrast into a into a into a black and white shot. So uh, there was there was no detail in the sky. Um, so um, so you got no detail after. Ah, you took the top out. Okay, yeah, good. <laughs> it just wasn't there. It was just it was just a it was just blue sky that just turned white when it went black and white. It's simple, simple yeah, as that. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's not good. That's well, that's we. The only way around it is you got it is you you can use a a dark yellow or an orange or a red filter will bring some tone back into the sky, you know. So, and I give you another thing to try to find, Simon. Then you can try to find filters for your large format lenses. Yeah, I'm I'm realizing <laughs> that that's that's not going to be easy by the sound of it. Um, like slip slip on filters slip, for yeah, slip, either that or you're going to have to get like a you know, rig something up. Yeah, you know, lots, lots of sellotape by the sounds of it. I'm good with sellotape yeah. anyway. I make adapters out of sellotape, so I can, I'm can. sure I can do that as well. You uh, could Photoshop in the sky uh, from an image that you took with a camera from 1940 or whatever. They used to do that. They used to just cut a sky and they used to just use two negatives. That's really common in old uh, in old photos. They would just cut in a, a big, beautiful sky with fluffy clouds and a lot of, you know, Especially, you know, the, the, the modern, if you look at old ortho, ortho film, it wasn't sensitive in the same way as modern film. Not ortho, but um, what do you call it? Uh, somebody will write in and yell at me. But basically, panchromatic film is different than orthochromatic film, and it didn't have the same tone response. So that's why a lot of old photos you see from the turn of the century have like just these ghostly white skies and stuff so it was not uncommon for people to have a beautiful sky and they would just sandwich two negatives together and then you'd end up with a nice sky in your photo so that's very common yeah um well another another one that i want to uh, cover is I, I got an email um from julian holder uh, this was direct robin to the to the podcast and uh, it was regarding a lens that um, I've, I have on my website on the simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. Um, and it's a Minolta Rockall, um, one of the very early MC, uh, it's almost like a silver nose. And, uh, and it has Bolson separation. And, uh, you know, that's part of the description. And there's a, there's a photograph that you can actually see the Bolson separation around the, uh, around the perimeter of the lens. And, uh, 
And Julian asked me, you know, perhaps if I could give it a go and just 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 check. Because he's had some experience with balsam separation before and getting Carl Haven style boca worms, as he uh, as he said in his email. <laughs> um, and um, so I thought, okay, well, let, let's give it a go because I've always been the, the I've always had the impression that these boca worms and these things, these artifacts that you would see in the boca balls, that was from when balsam separation appeared quite randomly uh, in in the lens because you know it, that's that's how it can happen. Whereas on this particular lens, it was very neat and it was right round the edge. So I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to make much of a difference. Um, so it was bright sun. So I went out into the garden and took several photos and it was immediately apparent that this balsam separation was, was having an effect on the photos, um, a very obvious effect. Um, apart from getting these arced lines in, in the flare, um, when there were bokeables present, it was, I, it was, there was a, there was almost like an onion ring outline to them, but it wasn't because of the way that the, the optics uh, resolved things. It was literally, it was showing the, the lines of the, uh, of the balsam separation um, yep. around the edge of the uh, lens. So um, I've learned something there that balsam separation, wherever it occurs, is, has the potential uh, to interfere with your photography, definitely. It's interesting, though, because I had um, uh, Olympus 51.4 silver nose, and it, um, it had just terrible balsam separation um, very close to the front element group, in the front element group, I guess. And you, you could just see it by picking up the lens and, and looking at it. It didn't need to shine a light on it or anything. And um, it had no effect at all on the images, nothing. And uh, it's kind of like, I, I guess, like Johnny's Sandsock Jupiter 3 that has no effect on images with that lens. Yeah. Um, but, but that... Um, one that you call my worm lens, the separation is is at the on the back element or in the back group, and then it's it's very clear. But you know, um, that's the lens that I sold, um, disclosing that it had that issue, and then and then some guy made up a story and returned it to me saying that um, he took it to a lens expert and the front coating was ruined, and um, and it wasn't. It was, but I took it back and and I still have it. And I'm really glad because I. I use that lens relatively often, and it's one of the best lenses I have. And I've taken pictures recently with bokeballs, and if they're soft bokeballs from natural light, you can't tell, you can't see. Um, so I guess it depends where it is and what kind of photos you take. Yeah, but, I mean, certainly when the when I was pointing it away from a direct light source, you you would not know that it had any kind of problem at all. Yep. And, there are, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who just do not point their cameras directly at the sun. Um, but yeah, if you if you do, and I'm certainly that that kind of person, then uh, balsam separation is not something that you uh, are going to de de desire. And then and then um, you know, speaking of lens defects, it, it's interesting how people, including myself, view different problems with lenses. So I, I had two lenses that I listed on eBay that had just like a little tiny dot or two of of fungus that. I probably was dead because I'd had them sitting in the window for two months. And um, so someone got a beautiful, absolutely beautiful silver nose for um, $40. And the guy um, will shoot it and get great shots, I'm sure. And um, and then I had a Canon FL 51.4, which is over $100 now for $35. And um, nobody wanted it. And um, people were making offers of $20 and things like that. So I just took it off eBay and I'm keeping it. And it'll just be a backup lens. Because it, the pictures look the same as photos that I take with my um, my perfect one. 
Yeah. But people don't believe that if there's fungus. <laughs> well, we've we've covered fungus many many times uh, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. it's it yeah. is a it's a case of in the main it's something not to be not to be concerned about. Um, yeah. But just because we say that doesn't mean that we'll all be quite happy if we've got fungus in our favourite lenses. But we we'll, we'll be <laughs> very very upset. Yeah. I don't set out to buy them, but. Um, Haze. I won't. I never buy a lens where it says it has haze. But just about anything else or scratches on the rear element, I wouldn't buy that. What but, about tiny fungus? Well, you know what? I've, I've been thinking about this lately. So <laughs> if you um, if you get a real bargain, you know, if some if there's a hundred and eighty or two hundred dollar lens on sale for fifty dollars because it has one spot of fungus, I'm, I'm I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm still not sure that I would buy it, but I might. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can I can tell a story about le about lens fungus if you like. Um, yeah. So, Mr. Cheyenne Morrison, uh, famous all all around everywhere, and of course, guest on this program twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost twice. Yeah, almost twice. Yeah. Um, so, I, I guess it would be okay to tell tell. I don't think he would mind if I told the story, but so Cheyenne. Morrison, you know he he is as as many of us know who know him. He is a um, he's a fanatic for certain types of lenses, and probably high on his list is going to be the uh, seventy five millimeter f one point five Biotar. Mm -hmm. um, and he uh, he found one. Some guy somewhere randomly on a forum had said, "Hey, I have this lens. I don't know what to do with it. I'd like to sell it." And it was literally this guy who had it for decades who's like 85 years old um and happen to be here in chicago so so long story short i helped to get this lens to cheyenne and the guy literally brought it into the shop and we you know purchased it and then resold it to cheyenne but we were just kind of passing it through to him um but when, anyway when i when i got this lens in you know i'm looking at it and it had typical i think to any of these that I've seen and I've only seen two of them. This is the second one I've seen, but they both looked exactly the same. They both had um, some haze inside from just evaporating, you know, lubricants. Um, they, they both had um, some internal scratches on the, you know, the big elements towards the center, which probably have been there since the day they were made. Um, and this particular lens had a little bit of fungus, behind you know the front element right around the periphery of the lens right so if you were a real purist and you really wanted one of these lenses you might think oh my god it's got haze it's got fungus no way but there are so few of these lenses in existence to begin with that if that was your criteria you would probably never find one and if you did you were going to pay absolute you know double top dollar high end because it's going to be like perfect or somebody's had it cleaned. So, you know, I, I, when I got the lens, I just, I sent him an email and said, Hey, Cheyenne, here's everything about this lens. And, and none, and I, and honestly, I said, I don't, I would, if it was me, I would feel totally fine owning this lens. Cause I don't think you'll see any of it. And when I test shot the, the same lens with um, worse haze, I saw none of it. Like I, I have test shots and you'd never know it was there. And I even shot it bright light daytime and it had zero effect. So unless I was shooting directly into the sun with no hood or whatever, which any lens from that era is not 
going to handle that well. But it, other than that, it there there's no effect. And I mean, the, the, so it, it, you can if you're if you know what you're buying and you're smart about it, you could definitely get a, a you know potentially get a a really good lens for a, a better price by accepting the you know quote unquote flaws and knowing what flaws are going to have an effect and which aren't. Oh, and I've you know speaking of that, speaking of flaws, I, I I've I got a um, Asahi. Or Asahi or Asahi, <laughs> uh, 50, 58, 58 millimeter, two point four, um, Heliar. During haven't, the week, I found one. Haven't we all moved on from that now? No, I didn't. I didn't mention that. No, we haven't moved on. No, but <laughs> no, everybody, everybody else has but, bought one. I mean, <laughs> but, but I didn't have one. Cheyenne doesn't have one yet either. I don't have one. And, and so, um, yeah, one just popped up on eBay, sixty-seven bucks, and. Um, the only problem with it is minor cleaning marks on the front element. And so it's on the way, and time, Simon told me what adapter to get. I should have them this week. Cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we have to find another one pretty soon to have everyone get hot on. <laughs> What's it been? It's been the um, Nikkor 105, and then um, and then it was the Nikkor 55 1.2, and then uh, oh, and then it was the um, Fujinon... Um, Whatever the f- that one is, it makes bokeh bubbles. The uh, fifty-five two-point-two. That, yeah, yeah. And, and there, was a, uh, there was a, there was a lens before that as well, uh, which was Imon's fault, if you remember, and that's the the Helios forty-four three. Helios forty-four three. Yeah. And um, and nobody cares about these, but what the lenses that I really like right now, and there's one more I want to get, are these older um, Auto Takamar lenses. Yeah, and that's another lens I bought this week. I forgot I bought another lens too. So I have the two point two fifty-five two point two, and I, and I bought a um a fifty-five two, but there's a fifty-five one point eight zebra, and um I'd like to have that one too. Zebra. I think maybe those are zebra. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Thank you. I think those are the three. I think those yeah. are the three that they made. Just for, for the for the sake of our, our our listeners, you you are selling lenses as well, aren't you? You're not you're not just um, accumulating these things. You, you haven't got like yeah. a mountain of lenses in your house now, have you? No, I sold eleven lenses this week. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's good. That's I'm 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 really impressed with that, <laughs> Carl. I mean, I don't think I've sold eleven lenses in my entire freaking lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> just buy them and keep them. <laughs> Okay, well, let's uh, move the discussion into a, another point now. Uh, per Edmund, one of our, uh, uh, well, actually two times um, guest on the show and admin in the uh, Facebook group, Photography with Classic Lenses, uh, put a post on the other day regarding, actually, it's not so much about what the, the, the photograph, it's more about what, what he actually said, um, because he, I don't think he actually took notes of the exact uh, aperture, perhaps, of uh, the actually two can he, and, and there are plenty of times where he's particularly not particularly interested in noting those those kind of details, and it's it's something that yeah you know, one of the rules in, within our group is if you post a photograph, um, then we want people to say what lens well obviously what lens was used but what aperture uh, was used and what camera uh, was used to take take the shot and both of those things are particularly. Uh, useful pieces of information for those that are trying to learn about uh, certain lenses because if you if you don't know what camera 
uh, was was used to take the photograph. Well, then you you don't know if if the shot is in some way cropped. You know, if it was taken with micro four thirds versus um, a full a full frame, for instance. And secondly, um, the way that the aperture behaves when when you close an aperture down um, gives a lot of information about the uh, you know the, the signature look of a lens. Um, so so so, Carl, do you do you make any efforts to um, note what details that you've, you've you've done on the shot. I usually do, um, <clears throat> for the reasons that you said that it's um, useful information. But I got to say, if you know, if you go out and spend a day shooting images, there are a lot of times where I don't remember exactly what aperture I shot an image at. Um, I shoot a lot of images at f four um, instead of closing the lens down, and they look they look perfectly fine, and. Um, but I don't. I might not remember. And some of the lenses I have, I don't even know what aperture I'm shooting at. This seven artisans is going to be a real winner. This thirty-five one point two, because there's no way to tell what aperture you're at unless you're at one end. You know that it's at one point two, and the other end you're at sixteen. But I was messing around with it today, trying to figure out how the heck do I determine what aperture the thing is at? Because there's is no that clicks. Is that because there's no clicks? Oh, okay. So it's like a no, Jupiter. Not, not aren't there any? Not only are there no clicks, there's no spot to line up the the dial with. Huh? What do you so, mean? Um, no, there's no, there's no um. There's no index mark for zero for no. for like infinity. I mean, and okay, no, okay. So so maybe if you call um no, there isn't unless you so you can use the line to, that lines up with infinity on the ring up above and. Uh, when you're at one two, actually the one two is at that same line, which works out yeah, well. Yeah, that's and you can just you can just use it for that purpose, but it's so, not so. Now so close it is marked. <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. I'm like uh, that's kind of marked, but I. I not the know. way you want it. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's it's in a weird place. Okay, it's in a strange place. Hey, wait, how is it strange? Where is it located, Carl? It's located right below. So it's lo It's it's located. Oh, what the fuck? It's a. <laughs> its primary okay, purpose. Carl. Its primary purpose is to identify the distance. I mean, it's it's right at the top of the middle ring, right next to and below the distance. All right. I'm just so, so trying yeah, to you understand can... that you've never encountered this before with any of your lenses, Carl. I'm just no. I, no. Okay. Well, let's say I've got a Voigtlander super wide Hilliar here. All right, and um, it's not like that. All right, it's not like that at all. Okay, it's got a dot right above the um, aperture thing, and it has a dot right below the focusing thing. It doesn't make you use one thing for both, or one's offset pretty far away with a little skinny line, so you have to look up at. Anyway, okay. But uh, you're right. I, I get what Pear is saying. A lot of times you don't have that information, and so um, I just I share as much information as I have. And uh, you know, once I don't I don't say what ISO I shot at. Pear did. He he knew that it was ISO 100. I think on that shot because he was doing a long exposure, so he remembered that. Um, so he just he presented what what he remembered about about the uh, image, and um, I, I don't know. I. I you know, do what Simon said, you know, and you know, present as much information <laughs> as you can. And if you don't have a lot of information, just write a really long uh, story about why you don't have a lot of information. How about you, Johnny? What's the question? 
it's about do you, do you make an effort to uh do to, i make an effort to make you mean just generally of course yeah, not in, in general terms um but no, to, no to, i mean i i, I yeah i mean i i generally know I just generally know where I, I don't I, I don't write it down because it generally I'm shooting everything pretty much the same way all the time. So uh, so no, I mean I I, I, I note whenever I, I post an image, be it Instagram or elsewhere, I always note the camera lens in the film. Uh, I don't generally note the exposure time or the aperture, but there's something reasonable for that scene, you know, if it's a if it's just a, a daylit walk around scene, it's probably going to be F eight at two fifty or something, you know, something just logical. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't shoot a lot of stuff wide open. And if I do, it's probably going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty obvious. So I don't, I don't uh, keep track of that stuff unless I'm um, for development purposes. But then it's more that I note that it's N plus or N minus development. Uh, but so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't tend to keep track of the exact exposure for each frame. I have done that in the past. I have done that in the past shooting medium and large format, but not certainly not for 35. Yeah. Actually this week, people have asked me three times, what aperture did I shoot a photo at? And it was in the um, tagline. So, um, well, there you go, people, you got to read the, (laughs) got to read the label. But it might have been the way that I wrote it. They might have just said, thought that I was saying what the lens was, and they didn't say at one one oh five two point five at two point five. I so think that's just the, the nature of uh, internet forums, though, isn't it? Uh, especially on on Facebook, the way that uh, you can see a photograph and then you'll see some comments. But there may have been twenty comments that have already been sure. made, and people yeah. will comment on what's in front of them. And you know, I think, why have you said that? They've, you know, this has already been this has been answered twice, or or, or, or something like that. So that can get quite annoying. But sometimes you just got to go with it, and people just see something and react to something immediately, and uh, and come out with the first thing that uh, comes into their head. But the other, I think, the other issue about uh, annotation and uh, make, making notes is, is and I think we, we touched upon this in the past actually um, and that's actually remembering what lens we use to take a photograph um, because I, I find that sometimes harder than uh, remembering the aperture uh, oh just, see there's a there's a there's a secret to that oh are you going to talk about photographing the lens when you're changing the lens and stuff no like that? no oh, no no not at all not okay at well all. tell 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 us a secret if you if you're prepared <laughs> see, to the secret is you need to have only one lens that you use on each camera. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you to say that. So, buy a camera for each lens. That's exactly cool. right. You have a camera. You have a lens, and it lives on a particular camera. That's how you do that, and you always know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's that's practical. Um, yeah. The other thing that's odd is that, and I still do it sometimes, is um, <laughs> if I shoot at very high ISO. I'm saying what the ISO was. And I don't know why I still do it because it's almost meaningless on a Sony full frame sensor that you shot the image at ISO 3000. You're like, so what? But I, I still, for some reason, put that in. Well, that just comes back from our, our past of uh, having Micro Four Thirds cameras where you. you maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, you guys have Micro Four Thirds cameras. Yeah, I, I, was, I was only talking to Cole there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I think I think we need to start to bring things to a bit of a close. Um, but we've got a few more things that we just need to to uh, to cover into. And I think the first thing is we've uh, an email flooded in this week, didn't it, Johnny? So do you want it to did. tell us a bit about that? Uh, that was that was the 007 theme. If you didn't didn't know that, uh, we got an email from Ian Fleming, um, and Mr. Ian Fleming said, "Simon, I enjoyed the latest episode, especially as I'm about to shoot with the new Ektachrome. I can plug the Voigtlander 35 color scope part LTM mount. Um, I've used it on my Voigtlander Bessa 2 R2 and." My Leica 3G to good effect. It's really a casino lens. Regards, Ian Fleming. Hmm. So, what can you? I know nothing about this lens. Um, Johnny, do you do you know much yeah. about this one? Yeah, you know about this lens, don't you? No, I know about the 25, not the 35. Okay. Well, the 35 is a similar idea, um, and I would have suggested to Carl rather than buying that Seven Artisans thing. Why not get? A nice Voigtlander 35. There are several available. Uh, but the color Scopar is a, yeah, it's a, it's, the, uh, let me make sure I'm, before I um, say fake news yet again, I'm just going to look up and make sure I'm saying the right, uh, all the right apertures. But I believe, I believe it's the 35 2.5. Uh, color. S-K-O-P-A-R-35. Yes, 2.5. So um, it's a it's a very – this is a nice lens, very small lens. You can get it in both M mount and LTM mount, and uh, you can get it in Nikon S mount as well, and I know that because I almost bought one. Um, so if those numbers look familiar, 35, 2.5, it's basically the same. It's very similar in many ways to the Nikkor – uh, 3.5 cm, 2.5, right? Um, it's similar in size. I'm not going to say the lens formula is the same because I don't know that. But, um, but it uh, it's definitely similar in size. Um, it's a it's a very high contrast lens, a very modern look. Actually, I've debated getting this lens because I think it might look too modern um, in terms of clean and contrasty. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great lens. Um, that's available in actually uh, a couple of different uh, body styles. There's um, uh, a kind of a more a flatter version, um, and then there's you know a, there's just kind of two different designs to it, but it's the same optics. Um, so anyway, yeah, that that's a, a fantastic lens on a on a, a really cool camera, the Bessa R2. Um, so and then the Leica 3G is a classic, of course. Um, so yeah, and new Ectochrome. So he's, uh, Ian Fleming has packed an awful lot of goodness into a one, two, three sentence email. So thank you, Ian Fleming and, for that email. And, and if anybody else wants to write in, how would they do that? Uh, they can write us at classic lenses podcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Excellent. We I highly well. recommend it. Do that. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, picking, picking on this lens I just bought. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it while you're talking. There might be a really cool special effect that I can do with this lens because um, <laughs> this is our freaking thing. Um, when it's closed down to F8, okay, that looks all right. If I go to F11, the aperture blades aren't big enough, so um, a little space opens up at the edge between every blade all the way around on the one I have, 
and I can see through to whatever's behind whatever's behind it. So I'm gonna have to do some f11 shots um, with into the sun or flare or something to see what, what happens with all of those places where light can get in. What are you the, talking about? Yeah, which, 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 which yeah. I'm talking so, about the when I'm close to F11. There's a, a small, <laughs> almost circular hole in the middle. Yeah, but if but, I look yeah. all the way around the edge between with, every aperture blade, I can which, see a gap. But which which is this lens? This is the Seven Artisans 50 35. Ah, can you can you share a photo or something of this of this abomination so that we yeah, can? Yeah, well, it'll be really hard to tell. I'll try. Just imagine that the aperture blades and the one that I have maybe weren't made wide enough. So the ones close all the way down, um, that, that they're not overlapping each other at the f extreme outer edge. So there's a gap that you can look through. Hmm. Look, maybe that's an intentional soft focus effect because, you know, soft focus lenses can have an arrangement like that. Maybe I, it is. I'm just still wondering why you didn't get the Voigtlander knocked on. 35 F2 is spherical, Carl. I'd, that, like the four, I'd like the 41.4. legitimately excellent lens. I'd like to have the 41.4. That's what I'd like to yeah, have. Yeah, that's, yeah, so would I. Okay. Well, just uh, move, moving things on, so I, I know that uh, we're running short of time of having Carl, so we, we don't want him running away. Uh, we want to say goodbye this week. So, uh, we, um, and not having to have uh, Johnny doing uh, doing his Carl impression. Um, so one last uh, uh, thing that we just want to uh, talk about, and that is something that's going on with our friends over at Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. And yeah. they have uh, just started this um thing called winnow voyaging lens uh, yeah it's uh, a vivitar 50 millimeter of 3.5 uh johnny you, you know a bit about this do you want to explain a bit more because we're we're john uh, carl and i are too old to understand instagram so uh if you can <laughs> um, deal with that for us sure? yeah yeah so they they have a uh they have a post here as simon just said win our voyaging lens um, and I'll read a little bit. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'll read a bit, a little bit. And um, it says, so today we start a new special giveaway here at Best Vintage Lens, our first of the best voyaging lenses. This is how it works. We will be sending this lens to one lucky winner. The only thing we ask in return is that you use it and post at least five photos taken with the lens. Um, they have a hashtag for this, which it's a little awkward, guys, but it's... Um, Hashtag VBL underscore traveling Vivitar 50 underscore three underscore five. So the lens, the focal length, and the aperture in that hashtag. Um, and um, I'll just read what they describe here. So here is the lens. It is a miniature Vivitar 50 3.5 enlarger lens. It's M39, but it will come with an M42 ring adapter like all enlarger lenses there is no focusing mechanism so this needs to be mounted on an m42 helicoid or an m39 if you prefer you could do that too um so uh, basically it's a, you know it's a it's an enlarger lens so they're very they're very flat field um and they behave like essentially macro lenses uh so they're very sharp so it should be an interesting lens to to play with you know um, but yeah, you'll need a whoever whoever gets this lens will will need a, a helicoid of some type to move the focus ring. 
Well, because there is no focus ring. So they need to do, yeah, to, to, to focus the lens. Folk, or focus with your feet, of course. That's the. Uh, focus with your way. feet, or a helicoid, or a, a bellows would work as well. So, so there's there's, uh, there's a bit more to this as well, isn't there? Um, as in, uh, if you if you want this, uh, then you need to write in the sentence about why you must have this lens, um, and you also need to tag two friends as well. But the, the details of this are over on the Best Vintage Lens, so you, and it's quite an easy easy one to spot. So if you head over that way, you yeah. can uh, you can find that uh, information out. And Carl, you, you've had this lens once, haven't you? I used to have that lens, and it was, it was quite nice, very sharp. And um, I put it on my Olympus EM1, and it was, it was a nice lens. Um, yep. If, I'm, if I remember right... If, it wasn't sold though as an enlarging lens, was it? I think I think you thought it was a the way it was sold to you was if like it was a, a normal lens, if if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, I never used it as enlarger. I just put it on an adapter and used it on my Olympus, and um, it was great. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, if you if you do find your way over there, uh, as well as finding the a picture of that lens, um, if you also swipe along, you'll actually see some shots that have been taken with it as well. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a very very sharp lens. So that's a that's an interesting little thing they've got going on there. So uh, yeah. head over to uh, uh, Best Vintage Lenses. And then uh, one last thing before uh, we say uh, our, our goodbyes, um, I just wish to thank uh, Cheyenne Morrison again for uh, buying us a coffee on the ko-fi.com um, where you can donate to the classic lenses podcast so if you go to ko-fi or search for ko-fi that's k-o-f-i or rather k-o-f-i and search classic lenses podcast you'll our page will come up and if you want to help us with the running of the podcast and things that we got planned for the future then buy us a coffee that's uh, that'll be great but uh, if you don't that's fine too so uh, we'll just carry on as we are um so cheyenne uh <laughs> also uh, uh, said that uh, because we, we mentioned that we had um, Ricardo Bayon of uh, Best Vintage Lens who came on the show and also donated to us so it was a case of uh, uh, it, was, it was almost a case of if you're a guest then it seems that you would donate to us which um, <laughs> he seems to be carrying that one through a little bit um, <laughs> so uh, we also had a, uh, a donation from Andy Clement uh, who uh, says he's loving the podcast to keep up the great work uh, Nigel Cliff um, bought us a coffee as well and in one of the posts he, he mentioned that uh, he's, 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 he was thinking of doing what uh, James Thorpe did uh, the previous week um, and actually setting up a regular payment to us which is pretty amazing James so thank you again for that um, but uh, Nigel's declined to do that because he feels that it's going to be better to do something on an individual basis so you end up with performance related pay just to make sure that our podcasts are good enough so um, we'll, uh, we'll carry on and do our best on that one for you Nigel Right, anyway, so let's uh, bring things to a, a, a swift end now. Um, Johnny, do you want to tell us how people can keep up with us, or keep up with you, sorry, on, on uh, sure. other means? Uh, you can find me um, in, on Instagram, posting most days. Um, I am assistant photography on Instagram. Uh, you find me in the, at the Classic uh, Lenses Facebook group. And you can find me at Central Camera Company in Chicago, in person, in real life. I'm Carl. And you can find me on the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page. And you can find me on Instagram, just by my name. And on Flickr, by my name. And sometime between now and when the leaves fall, I'll be in Finland learning to rake leaves. Because there's a small forest next to my house and I need to manage it properly so that I don't have a fire. 
and I'll see you next week. Um, I'm in a few places. Um, I've got my own website, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk, where I've uh, um, a few lenses and uh, some KNF concept adapters for sale. Uh, I also have my eBay shop. If you do a, a eBay search for It's Fozzy, um, then you can find my eBay shop where I've got more KNF lenses and more lenses. Uh, KNF concept adapters and more lenses. Um, I'm on Flickr, and that's something we probably need to talk about Flickr at some point with the what's been going on there with the change in uh, their their policies of uh, the about being free or how much you pay for a pro account. So I think we should perhaps have a chat with that soon. Uh, because there's a few things that uh, are worth saying on that one. Uh, but yeah, I'm on Flickr. Um, all links to wherever the, the the three of us are can be found in the in the podcast notes. And the podcast notes are always in. Uh, the Facebook group Photography with Classic Lenses it's a pinned post so you can you can get access to those uh, those notes there and we also uh, or rather I put the podcast notes into mflenses.com which we've not actually mentioned that um, for a little bit but there's a there's a thread on there for those people that don't want to go anywhere near Facebook there is a thread on mflenses.com in the uh, in the forums in the manual focused lenses section of the forum and there you will see a um, link there for a disc- uh, well I, the post the, the notes are there and sometimes we have a little bit of a discussion in there as well so uh, so you can get in touch with us that way as well so uh, that leaves me just to uh, thank Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com for the Octo Blues theme music that we use and I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast and it'll be great if you can join oh you know what uh, there's one more thing and that's next Sunday I'm going to be at the Wolverhampton Camera Fair um, which is that thing that happens about four or five times a year um, and Wolverhampton is in the Midlands in the UK if that if uh, if if you don't know where that is um, but that's a it's generally well generally it's that's where the Wolverhampton yeah. shrimp are from right <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. god next to the dungeness crab yeah um and uh, so it's it's a room filled with lots of people selling lots of lenses and lots of old cameras and it's uh, it's it's a great event um so if you if you can come along to that then come and say hello to me uh, because I, I will be there and there's just there are just so many lenses and so many cameras for you to see as well if you if you'd want to come along to that so uh so yep so i'll, I'll finish off that sentence i almost finished before and uh, say that i hope you enjoyed uh, this week's podcast and it'd be great if you can join us again next week thank you goodbye